And good evening live from Charlotte. I'm James Briarton. This is the Carolina Weather Group. Coming up, we're going to be talking about the NASA Impacts Project, which fits into the theme of this week. Winter is finally arriving here in the Carolinas, and we're going to be talking to a special NASA project about how they are storm chasing these winter storms, including the one here in the Carolinas tomorrow, to better understand the behavior of winter storms and to get a more accurate intensity forecast. All that coming up in a about 10 minutes but as you can see right now scrolling on the side of your screen we are in winter weather mode here at the Carolina Weather Group with a threat of winter weather across a good portion of the Carolinas tomorrow. If you're joining us from the North Carolina areas shaded in purple here you have a winter weather advisory that goes into effect tomorrow and rides through uh, all day tomorrow and this actually also includes a few counties a few counties in South Carolina such as York or Lancaster or Chesterfield. And then if you're joining us from eastern North Carolina, there in blue, that is a winter weather watch. What can we expect with this storm and what has prompted the National Weather Service to go ahead and issue uh, those uh, bulletins and advisories? Well, it is going to possibly be the first measurable snowfall for a lot of us outside of the western North Carolina mountains. You can see here the outlook and the forecast from the National Weather Service in Greenville Spartanburg calling for maybe up to two inches in some of the higher elevations, maybe up to about an inch or so in Charlotte. But I would say there's uh, still several scenarios that are on the table here, and it all depends on those temperatures. You've heard us talk about them so often here on the Carolina Weather Group, and you often refer to it as that warm nose. So we will have precipitation rolling in, at least from the Charlotte perspective here, at about noon tomorrow, starting as rain. And then when temperatures get just cold enough as we go on through that afternoon hour we do expect that to turn over to snow how soon does it turn over to snow will determine those accumulations on the lower side of things where we're just warm enough long enough we could end up with just a trace amount of snow accumulations here in the queen city but maybe upwards of about three inches if we get that change over to snow a little bit earlier on let's go to scotty powell he's joining us from morganton where the national weather service is calling for about two inches of snow but scotty there's a couple scenarios there where you guys could see some more snow than that too. You are doing well and I hope you're prepared for what uh, looks to be our first uh, winter weather event, major winter weather event. Yeah, uh, we're looking at, um, my forecast is actually a little bit higher than that. Two to four inches of snow across the Interstate 40 corridor from, let's say, uh, McDowell County all the way through Statesville up into the Piedmont Triad area. Uh, looks like that we could be on that northern fringe of where the uh, transition zone between snow, sleet, rain is at. Normally, uh, right uh, north of that uh, line is normally what we call a deformation band. And I think uh, portions of the foothills and the Interstate 40 corridor could find themselves underneath that band. So I've uh, upped the uh, forecast a little bit from two to four inches of snow, especially um, along like Burke, Catawba, Alexander, Iredale County areas. I feel like that uh, that zone could really uh, cash in and, and just from experience and history, uh, similar setups with these storms. It seems like uh, they always overachieve here in the foothills. So I'm a little bit higher than that, but again, two inches still um, a good bet uh, here in the foothills. So uh, a lot of area schools are already uh, closed or dismissing right. early for tomorrow. So uh, everyone is getting prepared. I will say, interestingly enough, though, DOT has not prepared any of the roadways. Uh, I know there's uh, some uh, concern with uh, maybe the uh, initial start of this precipitation be of rain or rain snow mix. So none of the roadways are prepared up here. So if it is a little bit colder and it starts off a little bit snowier, we could see some uh, travel concerns here along the Interstate 40 corridor, James. 
Yeah, and in speaking with them today, the reason they haven't done that is because if they were to put Salter Brime down uh, today or tomorrow morning, it's going to get washed away by the rain that is the prelude to this event. So it's not that they're slacking, but you know they've got plenty of salt. <laughs> we, we know they haven't really had too many opportunities to use it up until this point, but they are preparing. So you heard Scotty there talking about a forecast. For maybe and, Go ahead, Scotty. Yeah, and James, one other thing I was going to tell you, um, you know, this is kind of a now casting situation. I was just outside a little bit ago before the show started to, to take my dog out, and it's the skies are clear here, and it's, it's pretty chilly. We're already down into the upper 30s, so um, the forecast of the low was supposed to be around 39, 38 degrees. We're already there, and with clear sky the next few hours, we could see those temperatures drop a little bit colder than what uh, was forecasted. So that just brings more uh, interest to what the weather will bring us tomorrow. Yep, working on bringing up a live picture here from Resort Camps looking in Boone tonight. It is quiet, it is clear, and as Scotty said, it very much will be a now-casting uh, situation. I wanted to pop up uh, before we leave the western North Carolina region, the official forecast outlook from the National Weather Service, uh, again calling for maybe about two inches in Boone. That could be on the conservative side exactly depending on how this plays out, but right there on the fringe of this map, which shows you that forecast area for uh, the Roanoke-Blacksburg market, you can begin to see how numbers begin to creep back up, actually, as you make your way east across North Carolina, about two inches there in Reedsville. And I want to show you this map from uh, the North Carolina uh, Raleigh office of the National Weather Service, where Raleigh could be seeing at least about three inches of snow. So again, this is uh, actually a scenario where not only will the mountains be seeing higher amounts of snow, but actually across western North Carolina as well, where we have that winter storm watch in effect. And uh, that's kind of where this, this bullseye may set up as we shift this map even a little bit further to the east. Now Elizabeth City, three inches or so, could be expected and even some snow up into the Virginia Beach area. Uh, let's just pop up a few more of these maps before we bring in the rest of our panelists and uh, show you what the rest of the region is it could be expecting. Again, maybe about two inches here, Taper off as you make your way towards the coast, but we are going to be seeing uh, snowfall accumulation along that I-95 corridor. Uh, and so for the most part, this is an event that is going to be affecting a lot of primarily North Carolina. But as I mentioned, uh, we do have that winter weather advisory out even for a few counties in South Carolina, such as Lancaster here in Chesterfield, where we could see maybe upwards of an inch. So again, you know, as Scotty's been talking about, there are different scenarios that could play out here. And it's possible that the uh, forecast maps, uh, if you are of the opinion, may be a little bit on the uh, conservative side of this scenario. But again, like so many of the snow events we see here in the North Carolina, uh, it's it's really really tricky because. Uh, it's it's one thing to put a forecast out to talk about how much rainfall accumulation we're going to get, and it's another to talk about how much snowfall accumulation we're going to get when we're talking about that frozen precipitation. Even the slightest changes become that much more sensitive in the forecast, so it really will be very much a now-casting situation. Uh, before we get over to our NASA Impacts interview, let's bring in uh, Evan Fisher, who's joining us tonight from Charleston, South Carolina, but he also resides a lot in Asheville, and I know he's watching it from both those perspectives so good evening to you evan good evening james uh yes yeah, so i would kind of mirror a lot of what scotty said uh, for the western north carolina region Asheville up in the boon uh we're looking at generally two to four inches unless uh you're in the balsams and or you know 
kind of the highlands area, you might get lucky and see more like four to six inches. Um, unfortunately, the snow is going to be starting around rush hour uh, on Thursday morning. So it's not the best of timings, although luckily the roads are a little bit warm right now and it's going to take some heavy snow in order to overcome that temperature and start to stick. Uh, so if we're lucky, we'll get through the morning rush hour without any major problems. However, we're looking uh, later into the evening as snow is tapering off for the evening rush hour as well as uh, Friday morning, um, there could be, honestly, we could be looking at some serious refreezing issues. Uh, and if roads aren't treated and, you know, there's rain initially and then snow falls and then melts a little bit in the day on the roads, uh, they're all going to refreeze overnight. Uh, and that's going to cause some serious travel issues, uh, not just in West North Carolina, but across the state into Charlotte and Raleigh and eastward. Yeah, what I want to do now is I want to show this uh, to everyone at home on uh, one of our uh, our model runs here. So we are currently getting in the latest and greatest model run for the NAM, and we could expect to have that over the next hour or so. So before you go to bed tonight, if you're going to be you know, watching your late local news, you may see the latest NAM run uh, come into uh, that broadcast. It's currently compiling. So this is the one uh, from a few hours ago, and this is one of those uh, forecast models uh, that we talk about. So you can see here as we head in through the overnight, still relatively dry, relatively clear, as Scotty talked about, and then as we head into tomorrow midday, we start to see an increase in green. That's the rain. That's the liquid precipitation falling across much of North Carolina and South Carolina. We're getting some of those blues, the snow across the foothills and the mountains of western North Carolina. A little bit of mixing and sleet as you make your way from foothills down into the Charlotte area. And that sleet is going to also really affect the uh, accumulations forecast on whether it's a boom or a bust, depending on how long we stay kind of in that intermediate between the rain and the snow. And then you can see we do turn to all snow as we get towards that very critical evening rush and then the snow will wind down from east to west as we go through the overnight hours and as uh, Evan just mentioned we can expect whatever is still left on the ground to refreeze and become quite an icy commute Friday morning so this is going to be an event not only will you want to uh, pack accordingly as you head out the door tomorrow but also plan ahead for your work day on Friday. Uh, before we uh, move on to our, our our interview for tonight, I want to give uh, any of our panelists another opportunity uh, to weigh in on this on the snow. I don't know if Scotty Powell or Shay Gibson had any other thoughts they wanted to throw in uh, before we get on to tonight's interview. Uh, I think a good point is if you wake up tomorrow morning and it's not snowing, don't freak out. Uh, it's going to be an all day process uh, starting in the west and then moving to the east. I do believe wholeheartedly that someone's going to end up tomorrow evening with uh, with a big surprise. And I'm talking about a bigger snowfall, too. I don't know where that's going to be at. It's still up in the air. Uh, but I do believe there's going to be a few folks who are going to be surprised by how much snow they get. Shay, I was looking at that last model, and I'll toss it off to you before we get to our interview. It looks like it could be quite windy along the coastline as this storm really cranks up off the, uh, the southeast coast. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, this, this cold air that's diving down behind the cold front, it's really driven by a large ridge out of the way. And really, we have to kind of think of the dynamics. Right now, we have the subtropical jet and normally when we start to push snow south of this, this cold front, folks down here in Charleston are asking about snow. Well, usually, you would expect the northwest flow with a strong or a solid cold column to follow it with any moisture left over with just a few flakes. This, this case, we have more of a westerly flow at the mid to upper levels, according to the latest soundings. And so, when you start mixing in northeast winds, you get warm nosing along the coast, which just means cold rain. If, if a few small flakes were to follow, I wouldn't be 
totally surprised, but it's a very low chance. We're talking 4% on the Shreff Bloom viewer. You know, the NAM model has a dust, quick little dusting possibly, and that usually would occur a little bit further north of us where the north winds are pushing down. Um, so the surface winds will be more north to northeast and then aloft more west. So we don't have a solid northwest column really pushing that down. But, you know, things dynamics can change because low pressure, wherever the low pressure tracks may depend on whether or not we see anything along the backside, especially Myrtle Beach area should be watching that as well. Uh, but eastern North Carolina, I'd be a little concerned about some sleet uh, just because of northeast winds at the surface. Again, anytime you get an easterly element to that, that can throw off the snow amounts and actually add more of an icing effect. So that'd be my concern for eastern North Carolina. But as far as South Carolina, I think most of northern South Carolina, all the way over to the PD area, is probably going to see the highest chances for snow. In and further south, if there's a quick little flurry dusting before sunrise, it, there's a possibility for that too. So I'm not ruling it out, but it's not going to stick, and it's nothing to worry about on the roadways. All right, gentlemen, I appreciate that very much, and uh, thank you for everyone checking in on our uh, special snow forecast coverage tonight. As Scotty mentioned, this very much does become a now-casting situation, so you can be sure to check back in here at the Carolina Weather Group tomorrow and throughout the day uh, for the latest on that. And do uh, be careful as you head out the door tomorrow morning and plan ahead, because as you head out the door tomorrow morning, you need to be thinking about that drive home and then that drive back to work the following day. We will continue to uh, scroll tonight the latest uh, winter weather advisories, winter storm watches, and even still some of those remnant flood warnings on the side of your screen tonight as we join our scheduled interview all about the NASA Impacts Project, which again is studying and chasing winter storms just like the one here in the Carolinas. They will be uh, out and surveying tomorrow's storm to gather all sorts of very sensitive data that will help us better forecast the intensity of these storms. And I'm going to stop talking and get right on over to tonight's interview because they explain it a heck of a lot better than I do. Hello everyone, welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We welcome you to our uh, latest edition of our little podcast, Weather live stream, and we're going to be talking about an interesting project tonight, the Snow Impact Project. You may have uh, heard about this project just recently released out on social media. Uh, NOAA and NASA and a lot of uh, different entities working uh, on better forecasting winter storms and especially along the east coast here where we live that will be helpful because we know a variation in just a few miles can mean all the difference in snowfall forecasting tonight we have with us lynn mcmurdy uh, she's kind of leading up this uh, this research project uh, she is a associate professor at the department of atmospheric science from the university of washington so you know last year on our 300 show we were talking about um the states that we've not had guests from so we can mark Washington off that list. So now we're down to, uh, I think, six states that we've not had uh, any uh, any guests from. So, Lynn, welcome to the show tonight. Uh, definitely happy to have you. And I know it's a busy time as uh, we're in the midst of this research project. So tell us a little bit about the project and um, maybe how it, how it got it started and how, how you guys came together to get this idea and get the ball rolling, per se. Sure, happy to do that. I'm excited to be able to tell you all about it. Uh, so, uh, as you know, being a NASA project, we our name of our project is an acronym because everything is acronyms with NASA, and it, the name is called IMPACTS, and it stands for the Investigation of Microphysics and Precipitation for Atlantic Coast Threatening, threatening Snowstorms. So, in its name, it tells you a little bit about what we're doing. So um, I'm leading uh, this project with I, probably, I don't even know how many people are I'm working with, probably hundreds 
Uh, it was, uh, it's funded by NASA. It's a, a very large program that's a five-year project. In the middle three years, we'll be doing uh, gathering um, uh, data and gathering um, cases to study. And um, it's part of their Earth Venture Suborbital call for uh, for projects. And this means instead of NASA funding a, a somebody's idea about satellites, this is using aircraft. So suborbital means below the orbit of the Earth. So uh, the main uh, way that we are uh, performing our uh, investigation is through aircraft observations. So what we're trying to do is, uh, as you well know, uh, snowstorms, which occur all winter in this part of the, uh, of the country, are pretty difficult to forecast. Uh, they're fairly complex systems. They consist of large cloud shields that stretch, can be as far as Florida, way up into Canada. And within those, those big complex cloud uh, parts of the storm, there's narrow bands of more intense snowfall. We call them snow bands. And it's that uh, smaller scale, those smaller scale features, uh, usually near the low center of the storm itself that we are specifically trying to investigate. We're trying to understand the processes that form the snow bands that make how they change as a storm evolves and why some storms have a lot of snow bands and others have like absolutely none uh, yet they both are producing snow so um, that's kind of the science focus of it and our observational strategy involves uh, primarily two uh, aircraft uh, one of them uh, will fly high above the clouds. It's um, the e NASA's ER-2. It can fly at 20 kilometers elevation, or which is 68,000 feet, or twice as high as a commercial aircraft. Uh, and it has equipped with remote sensing instrumentation. So everybody's probably familiar with weather radars. Uh, this, uh, this airplane has four different radars, all different wavelengths. So they're sensitive to different portions of the storm. There's one that's a cloud radar, so it can see the small cloud size drops and, and others are more rain and snow radars. They see the bigger drops. It also has uh, microwave, remote, uh, microwave radiometers, and uh, those are types of uh, instruments that we often fly on satellites to measure precipitation from space. So that ER-2 is, is, flies above the, the clouds way up high and looking at the storm remotely, and underneath in coordination, observing the same portion of the storm is our uh, the NASA's P3 Orion, and it flies inside the clouds, and it has a multitude of instrumentation, and the major ones are these uh, cloud and precipitation probes, which actually essentially take pictures and count the sizes and the, the pictures of the snowflakes as they form. We fly it at different levels. Do so you see where the beautiful dendrites form, where the needles form, and then fly underneath and they aggregate into large big blobs of snow that eventually falls on the ground. Um, we also have some ground instrumentation specifically for this project and that, and that includes a whole uh, array of different radars and other uh, snow measuring equipment, uh, mostly on uh, Long Island with my colleagues at Stony Brook. 
So um, one of the things you asked me to mention is like who's involved. So obviously I have a large crew of people uh, involved with NASA, but the National Weather Service is also involved. They are uh, sending up extra Raywind songs. So we measure the profile of the atmosphere more frequently during these snowstorms. We just request them to, can you please put up some more at Albany and at, the, at their usual places, they'll add more Raywind song launches when we're flying, you know, at the time periods that we're interested in. So they've been really helpful. And they're also been extremely helpful with uh, helping our, my student and grad and uh, grad student and uh, postdoc uh, forecasters want, trying to, you know, tell, give them some uh, local expertise. Flying so, in a, a winter type of storm, does it present any additional challenges versus like the hurricane hunters who fly in warm core systems? Well, that's a good question. Uh, the The two different systems are pretty different. The hurricane hunters typically fly fairly high, and what they're doing is trying to get different profiles of the uh, environment of the hurricane and try to uh, get a good estimate of what the central pressure is. So they're kind of after a different kind of uh, problem, and they fly fairly high, so they're well away from any kind of icing problems. So for us flying in snowstorms in the winter, um, it depending, like uh, this last case, we actually flew, it was rain on the, on the surface, but the structure of the storm was the same. So we flew in it, but icing was an issue that we had to watch out for. Um, I think our main challenge is getting airspace to do the maneuvers that we, would, that we want to do to sample these storm systems. So, but so far, uh, the uh, air traffic controls have been extremely helpful and very accommodating. Uh, on our first flight, uh, we were kind of messing around in uh, upstate New York and Vermont, but then we wanted to go across Long Island. And when you looked at, uh, there's these uh, you know apps called like FlightAware, you can watch where all the airplanes are. They kind of cleared out a corridor and let our plane go through. <laughs> it was like, oh man, that's, that is very, uh, like that was really great of them to do that for us. So that, um, even though it's challenging and you have, but, uh, we're trying to do our best to uh, not demand too much and do, we do whatever they tell us to do. Is your aircraft on flight aware? Is it something people can track when you're on? These yeah, it is something people can track. Yeah, definitely. According to uh, the website I found, which is this, uh, a NASA website, it's yeah. November 806 NA and November 809 NA. So I just couldn't remember where the N and the NA were. So <laughs> I, we I'm like glad. to make it difficult in aviation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Cool. These airplanes, uh, especially uh, NASA flies a lot, uh, uh, so does NOAA or, and, and, um, and my colleagues who get uh, National Science Foundation funds can also request uh, the NOAA or NASA flights. And so they very experienced crew in field campaigns like this. And each one has its unique way of doing operations. I think uh, we're not doing anything really clever, fancy, different, and never been done before. Uh, and a lot of our instrumentation has been used in many other projects. And in some ways, that's good. It's kind of less risky. Um, uh, and we'll get good data right away. And uh, so it's, we, you know, banking on the experience from other campaigns. I know specifically the focus of this project is for snow bands, uh, but does some of this data also feed into freezing rain and sleep forecasts as well? 
It might, yes. Uh, I think where what we're doing at this stage is we're first looking for any storm we can find. Um, the banded structures can result in different things at the surface. The bands form a loft, so at that at those levels, that's always a, a below freezing. And and then the structure at the very lowest levels, the airplanes can't you know um, observe because you're going to crash them because you're flying so close to the surface. So if it happens to be a situation where there's pre-existing cold air down at the surface, and then happens to turn into freezing rain instead of snow because it's warmer aloft, then yes, we will inform that. So um, uh, I've you know I've told you know, told others that you know snow bands are are our wish list and the main thing we want to get for. But if the if the storm happens to be warmer than your usual winter storm, the structures are similar and can apply. We can still learn the science of what makes those structures. Why does it organize in these narrow bands? Uh, that are maybe related to the low pressure center deepening or, or maybe not. There's different hypotheses that we're testing and we can test them with a variety of storms, including ones that have freezing rain and things like that. You know, Lynn, <clears throat> just off the cusp thinking, I, this may, correct me if I'm wrong, may be able to help predict or maybe forecast where we could actually see those intense bands set up where we see thundersnow. Is that Oh, that would be, you know, thanks for mentioning the thunderstorm, thundersnow, because for this year on the ER2, we do have an instrument that measures the electric field, which then relates to uh, lightning. So if thundersnow happens to occur, we will actually learn some really fascinating stuff. They've never flown this instrument uh, in situations where uh, in winter storms. So um, you're correct that one of the applications of the data that we're collecting should help us uh, improve forecasting in a variety of ways. Uh, the first way is first we will understand the processes much better. So the science will elevate our knowledge base. But then the direct measurements of those snow crystals and the environment they're forming in and what the liquid water content, the temperature, all these other parameters, these are things that our numerical models are also predicting but they, we have to do that, what we call using microphysical schemes. It's kind of like an algorithm that figures out how to do this. And they're, they're in, uh, invariably wrong. <laughs> so that we don't have that portion of our numerical model very well uh, constrained. And, and you know, by having these direct measurements, we can see which one of these variety of microphysical schemes that you have a choice to use when you run a forecast model, which one is the most correct uh, for these kinds of storms? They make assumptions like how much uh, is made into snowflakes, how much is made into solid ice, how much is remains in cloud liquid water. There's all the, those things are assumed in the numerical models, but we will measure those so we can tell the models, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't care how much snow fog comes out of that model. You're still not getting it right for the right reason. <laughs> so um, that's one of our key applications is uh, hopefully down the road, making improvements in our numerical models. What's it like? I mean, this has got to be probably the most difficult part of the research. Yes, it is. Where it takes us all week <laughs> to figure out, like, how would we fly this forecast that's, you know, 85 hours out? So far, everything's gone great. You know, we've been lucky, um, but 
We haven't flown a lot of cases yet. As you know, it's been kind of a quiet winter, <laughs> but maybe that's a good thing. So we will be back again next year and we hope for a really active year and we'd be really know how to go about this. So this is, even if we don't fly a lot this year, we have, will have learned a lot. We will have gotten pretty good data and, um, and we're, ready, we're ready for a better year in the next two. Some of these you know, ideal winter storms can be quite massive and stretch all the way from the southeast to the northeast. Right. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for the planes to cover the southeast on day one and then get to the northeast in time for the deepening low pressure? We would love to do that. The trouble is that these storms kind of move a little too fast. Um, the way uh, when you work with aircraft, you just, there, you know, there's a certain amount of time that they, they can fly because of how much fuel they can take. And also uh, for crew duty. So you ha they're very, very strict with how long a pilot can be operating the plane. The ER2, the one that flies really up here, uh, high, 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 is there's only one person on the plane and that's the pilot. So, and he wears a spacesuit. Like he has to, he's almost, he's almost uh, beyond the atmosphere. <laughs> he's so high up. So he has to, uh, we have to be sure that that person is uh, within the safe range. So uh, total crew duty is 12 hours. It can allow, that includes the pre-flight routine and then landing and the post-flight routine. And then we are required to give them 12 hours off before we required them to show up again. So if my storm would move really slowly, I could probably do that. Well, and I know you mentioned that next year, uh, you know, the project's still gonna be going on. How mm -hmm. long is it set for at the moment? We'll be, we're here now and we're here to the end of February. And then next year, approximately the same, you know, another six week window will be out here in the following year. So three winters. Uh, emergency management, maybe if they, oh. Yeah. Um, you know, we get this research about um, where these heavier snow bands, like forecasting, uh, you, you know, maybe emergency management, that's where they put their assets at. I was just wondering, if, you know, what, who all... Yeah. Um, who all you can see the benefits from, from this research? Yeah, so I can see like the, the public at large and of course the emergency management is part of that because they are the communicators from the forecasters to the public and, and, and they kind of make decisions about how to um, respond to any kind of threat like a snowstorm. So um, I, I could see the public being, you know, benefiting uh, a lot in the long run. It, it, it's always hard to see the direct benefit, you know, I'm, going in, you know, geeking out about the great science I'm doing, but um, understanding these snowstorms better and then using that understanding to improve our forecasting. And when our forecasting is done better, and especially in terms of the distribution of snow and, and where it, those bands occur and do they set up and, and, you know, if it's one kind of storm, do we expect to get a lot more of these banded structures and therefore more localized regions of heavy snowfall? Or do we see that, you know, a different kind of storm would not have that and so there may be less over worry. So, I, uh, yes, indeed, that'll eventually uh, benefit the public, our understanding, and then uh, applying that understanding to better forecasting. And better forecasting will help the managers be able to react in a timely manner to inform the public. I know it's kind of early into the project. Mm -hmm. What's the feedback been like so far? Thumbs up. It's great. We love it. Um, uh, we have one... The type of instruments I fl we fly on the P3 are kind of finicky and difficult instruments. So some of them have not been operating at the top 
as they could be. So that's some of the feedback we're trying to correct some problems or fix an instrument or two. Um, the data that I've been looking at looks really good, I think. Uh, some what you kind of are is exciting is so you look at it and go, I don't know what's going on <laughs> when you have that uh, kind of reaction. That's actually a good thing because it means you're going to learn something new. So I'm, I'm excited about that. So far, I think everything we've collected really high quality data. We haven't lost anything, you know, like sometimes, you know, some your biggest worry is like somebody forgot to flip the switch and it didn't record like, Oh no, don't do that. <laughs> so, so far very, you know, everybody knows what to do. They got all the switches turned on. Everything's good. And um, uh, so far it looks great. So uh, we just need more storms. That's all I need. <laughs> Well, we need some more storms too. We're having. To <laughs> we all you know, need more storms. We, we need some more storms too. Well, Lynn, it's it's been a fantastic discussion. I'm going to go ahead and close out. So, everyone, thanks okay. for uh, watching the Carolina Weather Group. We hope you've enjoyed this discussion. Uh, Lynn, I want to ask you if you don't mind if people want to follow along with the project. I know you mm -hmm. have some social media yeah. uh, platforms they can follow. How can they do that? Boy, I should have wrote this down. So I, the one I know for sure is our Twitter account, which is at snow with a capital S and then impacts, I-M-P-A-C-T-S. Awesome. I follow, we follow here on the Carolina Weather Group, and I personally follow the, the snow impacts on Twitter. So great. get some great information there. You get some behind the scenes photos and things like that. So okay. thanks so much for joining us. We want to thank you for watching the Carolina Weather Group, and we will see you on our next episode.